In Jesus' name, amen. I, I thought that I knew best. Uh, and because I thought I knew best, I decided to take control. Uh, I was going to take matters into my own hands. My wife and I had just gotten married, and we were moving into our first home together. And uh, being just a couple weeks after our, our wedding, uh, we had received a number of gifts uh, for our wedding, some of which were these pieces of furniture, some small pieces of furniture. Now, if you know me, you, you might not be surprised by this, uh, but there is kind of this unwritten rule in our house that if there's any home improvement project that takes more than three steps, I am not allowed to do it. <laughs> so I can nail something into the wall to hang a picture. That's okay. That's one step, hammer and nail. Uh, I can tighten the towel rod in the bathroom when it falls. That's okay. Uh, but anything more than three steps long is strictly off limits. And so when I saw this box uh, sitting in our living room when we moved in that had our bedroom nightstand in it, I knew that it would not end well for me if I even thought about opening it. Uh, in fact, my wife told me it would not end well for me <laughs> if I even thought about assembling that nightstand. And so the plan was that she would put it together. She promised that if I was just patient, she would do it. She would assemble the nightstand. And at first, I was patient. But then a couple of days went by, and I kept on looking at that nightstand sitting in the box. And, and eventually, I thought to myself, you know what? I can do this. I thought that I knew best. I I told myself, I'm, I'm going to take control, I am going to take matters into my own hands, and I am going to build this nightstand. And so one day, I waited for my wife to go to work, I watched her drive down the road, and then I ran, and I got the box, I went into the, the garage, and I started to put it together. And I'm not kidding you, maybe five minutes later, I had twisted a screw so hard that it just cracked in half, I was trying to pound in the legs, and they were totally uneven, and after ten minutes, this thing was ruined, it was beyond saving. Um, but I thought that I had known best. I thought that I needed to help my wife. I thought that I needed to take control and to take matters into my own hands. Now, uh, generally speaking, that might sometimes be true in life. We sometimes might know best. There, there may be times when we need to take control of a situation and to take matters into our own hands. That was not one of those times. And I think we'll see today in God's Word in Genesis 27, when it comes to God, that is never the case. We never know better than God, and we never need to take control of situations that he has firmly in his hands. In, in that reading for Genesis 27, God had a plan, and he made a promise. It was a plan that involved Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, along with their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, a, a couple chapters before our reading for today, God told Rebekah what that plan was. You see, at that day, according to the customs and traditions of that time, it would have always been the older son who would have received the father's blessing. It would always be the firstborn, the older son, who would have received the father's blessing. And in this case, it would have been Esau. Uh, Jacob and Esau were twins, but Esau was a little older. And so the, the customs and traditions of that time would be that, that when the time had come, when, when they were of age, Esau would receive his father's blessing. But God had a different plan. And he promised Rebekah otherwise. He said that it would actually be Jacob who would be blessed by his father, that it would be Jacob who God would work out that plan of salvation, that plan of blessing and, and life through. And when the time would come, it would be Jacob. But in our reading for today, uh, when that time did come, we saw how quickly things began to go wrong, didn't we? First there was Isaac. 
and he acts in total ignorance. Uh, We don't know if he knew about this plan that God had and the promise that God made to Rebekah. We don't know if Rebecca told her husband or if God told uh, Isaac about his plan, but it almost doesn't matter because Isaac is acting in ignorance. Because when the time comes, he calls over not Jacob, who God had chosen, but the older son, Esau. And he tells Esau that he, that Esau will receive the blessing, his father's blessing. And yet it almost seems like Isaac is more concerned about his belly than he is about blessing his son because he tells his son that before he'll think about giving away that blessing, his son has to cook him a good meal. He's got to go out into the fields and and catch him something good, cook it up just right, that he wants uh, the best meal before he's going to give away that blessing. Uh, Isaac acts in total ignorance. The picture we have of him is kind of of this ignorant, old, senile man who's losing touch uh, with reality. And, and then there's his wife, Rebecca, and she's not any better. She, she hears what's going on between Isaac and Esau, and she knows that God had a different plan, that God had promised her it would be Jacob. And, and we know that when God has a plan, he sees it through, doesn't he? And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. Uh, but Rebecca thought that she needed to take matters into her own hand because she thought she knew best. And so she schemes and she deceives. She comes up with this plan to lie and trick her husband into giving away the blessing to Jacob. And Jacob, of course, goes along with all of this. He, he goes right along with his mom's schemes and deceiving and lies and trickery. And, and somehow, uh, it actually works. Uh, Isaac is tricked into giving Jacob the blessing rather than Esau. And you can imagine how Esau feels about all of this, right? He's not happy. He, he lashes out with this angry impulsiveness. He demands not once, not twice, but three times a, a second blessing up from his father. He says, bless me too, Dad, but the blessing's already been given away. It is a messy story, isn't it? A, a messy family. There's, there's ignorant Isaac, there's scheming Rebecca, there's deceitful Jacob, and angry, impulsive Esau. It's a story, as I read it, that seemed to be a, a story without a protagonist. I wanted to be able to cheer and root for someone, but there's no one worth cheering for in the story. And, and so what amazes me is that somehow, uh, in this story where God seems so absent, I actually had to read through it three or four times to see, is God even mentioned in the story? And he is twice, but only in passing reference. In the story where God feels so distant, the truth is that he is there. And, and God is working in the story to, to see his plan through. He's working there to keep his promise. He's, he's there to, to fulfill his promise of love and grace and blessing. And what God wants, what his will is, is accomplished. Jacob is blessed, which, which might make us think that all of that bad behavior from that family is justified, right? We might think, well, maybe uh, Rebecca and Jacob, maybe they were on to something. Uh, maybe we should celebrate what they did, right? Because after all, they, uh, God's will was accomplished at the end of it. But, but far from, from celebrating that sin, I, I think this story is there so that we would celebrate the God who is working despite their sin. I think we are meant to read the story and, and celebrate the God who, who in and around and through and despite this sinful, messy family accomplishes his will. That despite their scheming and deceiving, God's will is done. Despite their, their ignorant impulsiveness, God fulfills his promises of blessing to his family. 
You see, brothers and sisters, we're not all that different, I don't think. I, I think all of us, at least sometimes, think that we know best. Uh, we, we feel like we need to take matters into our own hands, like we need to take control. We, we know in our mind God's plan for us, that his plan for us is that we would forgive all people and all sins uh, all of the time, and yet sometimes we think we know better, don't we? We think to ourselves, well, I know God wants me to forgive, but not that person, not the one that hurt me. I can't possibly forgive that kind of sin. That would be outrageous. Or maybe we know uh, God's call on our lives uh, to speak well of our enemies. That it would be good for us and our families and our neighborhoods if we did so. Uh, but it seems to us that God couldn't possibly be talking about our politicians, right? Or, or maybe we know God's plan to provide for us, right? He promises to provide for us. We, pr- we pray and ask him for daily bread. We we know that God is caring for us, but it doesn't feel like it sometimes. And, and some days, other days, maybe it feels like he's not providing for us in the way we would like him to. We want bigger. We want better. We want more. And so we take matters into our own hands and we work and we work and we work. Sometimes we pour our lives into our careers. We ignore our families in order to get what we want. Other times, maybe we know that God promises to forgive us, to accept us by faith, and to love us through his son Jesus, but we find that hard to believe after everything we've done. And so we worry, and we worry, and we worry, and we stress, and we strive to even the balance, to make the good outweigh the bad. We try to earn our way into uh, uh, receiving God's promise. We think we know best. We take matters into our own hands. We, we try to help God out sometimes when it seems like he's not doing what we want him to or what he said he will do. And yet the amazing thing is that through all of that, through all of our faithlessness, God is there. And he is in control. And he knows best. And he has taken matters into his own hands. And And he has kept his promises to love us and forgive us and accept us by faith. He has seen this plan through, this plan of salvation to welcome us into his eternity forever to be with him. Despite us sometimes and despite our sin, God is ruling and reigning with grace and truth. Which in no way, again, justifies our bad behavior. Uh, Just because God is going to see things through, just because he is faithful, does not give us a license to sin. And uh, uh, we shouldn't live as though we have this get-out-of-jail-free card where we can just do whatever we want. No, God's call in our lives is actually to repent of that faithlessness, to repent of all the times that we thought we knew best, to turn away from that that ignorant impulsiveness and instead to turn towards the God who continues to remain faithful, to cling to and trust to the God who sees his promises through, who works despite our messiness, to pour out grace and love. See, brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people, much like that family that we read about today, a group of leaders, actually, uh, political and religious leaders, who thought that they knew best. And who, because they thought they knew best, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Uh, They decided to take control of a situation they thought they needed to control. And so they took their only source of hope and life and forgiveness and they nailed him to a cross. 
And yet somehow, despite the terror of that sin and of what they had done, God was there. And and despite their sin of nailing their Savior to the cross, God was firmly in control. And somehow, through that cross, he, he was keeping his promise. He was fulfilling his plan of salvation and grace. He was there all of the time. And what he calls us to today is simply to trust in him, to repent of our faithlessness and all of the times that we thought we knew best, all of the times that we messed things up by taking matters into our own hands, and instead to trust in what he has done, to look to where he has proved himself faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.